I've been kind of blowing some air into it. Oh, there he is. He looks like he's got all the time in the world. <laughs> Maybe we ought to just start playing. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And what a joy it is to see all of you. And so whether you're in person or on the live stream, we want to welcome you. We're thrilled you have chosen to worship with us. If uh, today is your first day here and you're visiting with us, we offer you a warm welcome. Uh, we hope you picked up a bag of goodies out on the table and uh, enjoy that. It allows you to get to know us a little bit, us to get to know you a little bit. Let's uh, you know that we care about you and we're glad that you're here. I would like to ask all of you if you would uh, sign the friendship register. So if you're on the kind of the end of the row there, get that started, pass that down to your neighbor. That lets us know uh, who is here and gives us the opportunity again to continue building relationships with you. And so let me share several different announcements of things going on, a lot of them as we enter into holiday season and moving towards Thanksgiving and Advent and Christmas. A lot is going on, and uh, we praise the Lord for his work here at Lake Oconee. A couple of dates to remember. Next Sunday, November 21st, we will have the opportunity to meet new missionaries of ours. Chris and Carrie Drinkard serve with Campus Outreach, and the focus of their service is Manila in the Philippines. And so they're here on home assignment, and uh, we're thrilled to have them. They will be here at 9.15, note the time, 9.15 next Sunday morning. We'll meet together, get to hear from them. Then they will be giving a greeting during the announcement time of the service as well. So we encourage you to be a part of that. Other things to save the dates for and look forward to, the Bookbinders group meets this coming Friday from 10 to 11 here at the church discussing the book. See Marianne Johnson if you have any questions concerning that. This week, keep in prayer. The Sheds of Hope uh, team will be building another set of sheds. We're excited about that. 
Saturday, November the 27th. It's not too late to sign up to help out decorating the sanctuary and decorating the church for Christmas and for the season. So there's a sign-up sheet out on the table. Feel free to do that. And then December, make sure I get my dates here, Sunday, December the 5th at 4 p.m. I'm excited about this because it's a community-wide thing where the church in our area, several churches will be getting together for a ecumenical Christmas cantata. And so I just want you to know, you'll be hearing more about that, but that is Sunday, December 5th at 4 p.m. And then the ladies' Advent tea. We're very, very excited about that. will be Tuesday evening, December the 7th at 6.30. Ladies, please sign up for that. There's a sign-up sheet out there. Because the meal will be catered, the deadline is a hard deadline this year, and that deadline is Sunday, November 28th, and that's because Brenda needs to turn in the exact number on Monday, November 29th. And so see Brenda Roberts if you have any questions regarding that. So that's kind of a list of some of the announcements. It's not exhaustive or comprehensive, uh, but that's some of what we're excited about here at Lake Oconee. And now as uh, the prelude is played for us, let's focus our hearts and our minds. God has called us into his presence this morning to worship him.
call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You have called us to come into your presence and gathered us together here this morning that we should worship you in spirit and in truth. We invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to join with us. We thank you for the promises of your scripture that you heal the brokenhearted. You bind up our wounds. You are gentle and lowly in heart. You are kind and tender. And it is fitting to praise you and to rejoice in your holy name. And so now, Father, we ask that you would lead us, that you would glorify yourself as we sing your praises through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please stand together as we sing this great hymn of the faith, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. do feel you are wandering from the Lord, do you recognize that that is a grace? That if you feel it, you're not capable of that on your own. That if you're aware of the tendency and propensity of your heart to wander from God, that is a sign and an evidence of God's commitment to you. What you don't want is God letting you do what you want. That's scary. You want God to put on your heart this prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, because you know what that means? That means God is pursuing you. 
And that's one of how many reasons could I give where we say our only comfort in life and death is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friends, our confession of faith this morning comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, questions one and two. And so I will give the question, and then you respond in kind. Friends, what is your only comfort in life and death? And what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, And by God's grace, friends, this is what we believe and confess. Let's stand together and sing our song of praise this morning in Christ alone.
God's people said, Amen. Amen to that. You may be seated. How do you not say amen to Jesus commands my destiny? Tell me that doesn't not only move your heart, but again, gives you comfort, gives you hope, and gives us freedom to approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness. Friends, let's together recite and pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for who you are, a sovereign God who commands our destiny. I think it was R.C. Sproul who said one time, there is no such thing, no maverick molecules. Not a hair can fall from our head without your utter will. And everything you do is for your glory and for our good. Help us to trust the fact and the reality and find comfort in the fact that we are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now we are adopted into your family. And we don't say my father, your father. We as a family say our father who's ruling and reigning from his control center from heaven. May we in everything we think and say and speak and do set apart and hallow your name. And Father, we ask for your kingdom to come. We are broken and we thank you for the promise of your word that you heal the brokenhearted. You bind up our wounds. We are brokenhearted over the divisions, over the clashes, over the injustice, over all the wrongs that are in the world. And we long for the day you put the world to rights. And we pray that we would be a people committed to your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we ask you this day to give us our daily bread. And that means we trust you with our temporal needs, our spiritual needs, our physical needs. We thank you that part of our daily bread today is literally coming to your table, your, receiving your hospitality and partaking of your body and blood. Father, thank you for the Lord's Supper. May our hearts be prepared, filled with joy and wonder that you give us grace upon grace. And part of the daily bread we pray for is for the physical, emotional, spiritual, relational needs to be met within people of our body. So, Lord, we bring before you Emma Anderson and her surgery tomorrow, Carol Walker and her recovery, Maxine Ward. Lord, I rejoice to see Debbie Puppy here today. We thank you for how you have blessed her recovery and continue to pray for her. We pray for those who have lost loved ones recently, Bill Burmeister and Jana Unger and Jan Diepenhorst, and we lift them before you. We pray for Harold Sowell. Ask, Lord, for you to comfort 
him. Father, we ask your forgiveness of our debts as we aspire to be a forgiving people, to forgive as we have been forgiven. And when when can we really get a full glimpse of how much we have been forgiven? Your word says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins from us. Give us tender hearts that we would be willing to make the commitment to forgive those who've hurt us. And Lord, we pray for our holiness, that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Lord, we acknowledge that yours and yours alone is the kingdom. The rule and the reign belongs to you. That's why the chief end of man is your glory, the glory of God, to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
seated. Join me now as we pray for God's blessing upon his word as we turn to it this morning. Father, thank you so much that you speak to us through your word and that you reveal not simply the knowledge about yourself in your word, but you give us the actual knowledge of you. You reveal yourself to us. You show us your heart. You show us your methods. You show us your mission, your agenda. You show us what you're all about. You invite us into your very heart. Lord, from beginning to end, you who are love are a relational God. You exist as three in one. And you're inviting us into communion with you. So, Lord, may we recognize this is not an academic exercise. This is a time where you are feeding us with your very word, which is living and active. So we pray, Holy Spirit, teach us what you want us both individually and corporately to know. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have Bibles, I'd invite you to turn along to Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. This is the third of Isaiah's servant songs. If you remember what we're looking at, our theme, the series is all about, as we're about to move into in a couple of weeks, Advent, and from Advent into Christmas, we are looking at the topic or the theme of hope according to the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah gives us this mysterious figure known as the servant of the Lord, that when we get to the New Testament, we recognize that that is Jesus Christ, that we are worshiping Jesus Christ. But we are hearing how Jesus, in this picture of the servant, you know, the entire Old Testament, you are not reading the Old Testament accurately or properly if you don't see it as being all about Christ. The entire Old Testament is about Jesus. So here we are looking at the servant of the Lord. So listen with with me as we read from Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because 
He loves us. My dad always taught me growing up that you can learn a lot from sports. You can learn a lot from athletes. And so I know baseball season is over. Yay, the Atlanta Braves won. I'm thrilled for that. That's a, that's a good thing. But I'm still going to give you a New York Yankees illustration here, okay? I love the Braves. They're my National League team now, but I love the Yankees. And one of my favorite players, and so when you get to meet my son, Joel, you can ask him, who did dad teach you to just kind of, you know, look up after and stuff? And he'll tell you, Derek Jeter, number two. And one of the things I learned from Derek Jeter and I love about Derek Jeter is his determination, his goal and his will to win. It reminds me of what was, I think, allegedly, maybe he really said it, who knows it, Vince Lombardi, who said winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And I think in an interview he said what he was trying to get across there was the will to win, the determination did you see as I read from Isaiah 50, he set his face like a flint, the determination of the servant. See, what we looked at last week in chapter 49, we learned that the sovereign Lord has the power and the will to deliver his people both from their sin and restore them to himself. The song insisted that it meant very little for the people to be delivered from Babylon if they were not restored to God. It may feel good, and we may really like it to have our circumstances turn out good. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't have, if your circumstances are alleviated, but your spiritual condition is not alleviated, you're not restored to God, what good is it? So in other words, how will this problem, how will our alienation from God, our natural alienation from God be solved? Last week, we saw that the servant, who and what he will be about in terms of a savior and a substitute. But how will he accomplish this? More and more, we are, more, we are moving toward and unfolding the suffering of the servant. Next week, we will look at that classic passage, the fourth servant song from Isaiah 53, one of the most quoted pieces of scripture in the New Testament about the suffering servant. This text shows us the obedient determination of the servant, the determined servant. And what was he determined to do? Not to lose you. He was determined to restore you to God, to solve the problem of our alienation from God. So what do we learn about his determined obedience? What does this text teach us? We learn two things. The servant's determined obedience will lead to suffering in order to lead through darkness. This determined servant, his path is a path through suffering. Look with me at verse 4, how it begins. The Lord, is God, the Lord God has given me, here's the servant speaking, speaking, has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word, with my speech, with my mouth, with my tongue, him who is weary. The purpose of his tongue was to not break bruised reeds. The purpose of his tongue, how is Jesus described in Matthew chapter 11? 
He is gentle and lowly in heart. Friends, if you are weary, run and fly to Jesus who is gentle and lowly and who with his very speech will speak truth in order to not break a bruised reed. To sustain with a word. What does his word do? It sustains those who are weary. Is anybody weary in this world? Anybody struggling with a sense of... You know, I love to play golf, and one of the reasons I love to play golf is it gives me a little bit of a break from just the weariness. It's probably where I am the most relaxed. There are times Evie says, go play golf so your blood pressure goes down. Because I walk on the golf course and all of a sudden, and even if I shoot 182, I know I'm not that good. Right, Doug? You know I'm not that good. But I'm relaxed on the golf course. The Lord God has given this servant the tongue of those who are taught that indicating purpose. Read these words carefully. That, here's the purpose of his word, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike. Here comes the leap leading through suffering. I turned and gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But look at even the servant. You almost hear the human Jesus doing what? Depending on the Lord, relying on his God. But the Lord God helps me. I mean, Jesus as God, fully God, was completely self-sufficient. But in his humanity still led the way for us by turning to his God, saying, the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. Friends, one of the things I want you to recognize here is how the New Testament picks up different aspects and allusions from the Old Testament. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up. And that language of taken up means he's preparing for the cross, to be taken up on the cross. He knew his mission before him. Look at what he did. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. We've read that. I've set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. For he who vindicates me is near. See, we see here that the servant's obedience, the servant's devotion to his God will lead to suffering. The servant suffers because of his obedience. Now, this is not a popular message today, is it? This is how to grow a church. They didn't teach us this in church growth school and all that kind of stuff. How do you want to grow a church? Teach the inevitability of suffering. Okay, I'm waiting for the people of God. Don't run away. But this is the message of Scripture from beginning to end. This is completely counterintuitive and countercultural to our society today. And even, unfortunately, from a good section of the church. Ross Douthat, who was the youngest op-ed writer of the New York Times, wrote years ago a very provocative book called Bad Religion. I see a book on the shelves called Bad Religion. That's going to pique my interest every time. 
And in it, it's basically a history of the church since World War II, and his basic thesis is that even though we have had heresies and false teaching all throughout the history of the church, even the history of America, we now currently live in an age where the church in America is not confronting it with truth and orthodoxy. I read that and that woke me up. Douthat calls the current popular theology of books and movies like Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love, authors like Deepak Chopra, cultural icons like Oprah Winfrey. He says that we are not combating or con they're not being confronted by the church when the most, now I'm quoting from Douthat here, so I don't want anybody to get mad at me, but when the most popular theologians of our day are men like Joel Osteen. Quoting, just to give you one example, from Gilbert, he writes, the highest spiritual wisdom isn't just that God waits for us inside our own hearts and minds and souls, it is that God dwells within you as you yourself, exactly the way you are. A divine spirit who's in you as you. A God of the universe who turns out to be the God within. Douthat says the result is it's the church of the Oprah Winfrey Network, religion as a path to constant self-affirmation, heresy as self-help, the quest for God as the ultimate form of therapy. He goes on to cite a man by the name of Philip Reif, a psychologist and philosopher who in his 1960s book, The Triumph of the Therapeutic, wrote, the age of traditional Christian faith was over. Religious man was giving away to psychological man. Religious man was born to be saved, but psychological man is born to be pleased. Carl Truman, in his book, The Rise of the Modern Self, has picked up this theme and actually uses Philip Reif as one of his primary examples. Religious man has given way to psychological man. And instead of being born to be rescued, born to be delivered, born to be saved, we're born to be pleased. So between this and our culture and the church with its dominant message of health, wealth, peace, and prosperity, does this sound like a conducive environment for a message that says obedience inevitably leads to suffering? And yet this is the message of the scriptures and the message we need to recover. See, as we explore this text, we see that the suffering of the servant comes. Why? Because the servant reveals God through his word, through speech. Verse 5 says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. So the servant's ears are open to hear and receive God's message. What is he committed to? Listening to the word of God, being immersed in the word of God. He is listening to and receptive to what God has to say. And of course, where do we hear God's message? In his word. Do you recognize that Jesus lived his entire life immersed in the word? The word of God shaped his life. It's how he faced and reacted to every situation in life. When he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, what did he do? He said, it is written. It is written. He quoted scripture. He alluded to scripture. When he was dying on the cross, what was it that humanly sustained him? 
It was the word of God. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you realize, do you recognize, are you immersed in the word enough that you know that that is a quote from Psalm 22? If the Son of Man, if the servant of the Lord, if Jesus the Savior needed to be immersed in the word, how much more do we need to be immersed in the word? I know we say we come to church each Sunday, we hear the word, but is that enough? It wasn't for Jesus. Look at the end of verse 4. He says, morning by morning. Doesn't say Sabbath by Sabbath. Huh. Did I read that correctly? It says, morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. And the language that's being used there is the language of a disciple. Pretty amazing. Don't you think Jesus is the chief disciple maker and he's calling himself a disciple there? The servant is a learner. The servant is being taught. A disciple, by definition, is a pupil, a learner. Verse 4 says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. The servant has an instructed tongue to do what? To declare God's message. He's listened to and received God's message in order to declare it. And his declaring it has the effect of sustaining. Notice the word there, sustaining. Not curing, not saying you won't be weary, but in your weariness, the word will hold you up, will strengthen you, will sustain you. But it has another effect. What is the result of the servant's message? It leads to abuse and suffering, rejection and persecution. He's willing to bear it because he knows what lies ahead. This is hope. He knows what faces him as, awaits him as ultimate vindication. This fuels his determination, sustains his confidence in the midst of mocking and spitting. And again, what was the power behind him for him to do this? The Word of God. Because of his immersion in the Word of God, he is able to set his face like flint to do his master's will, to finish his work. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, he said this is his very food. My food is to do his will and sustain his work. That's the first point. Now, what is his work? The obedient servant will lead through darkness. Look with me down at verse 10. Look with me down at verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Take a look at a couple things with me. First, notice that to fear the Lord is synonymous with obeying the voice, the word of the servant. To fear the Lord doesn't mean simply have the correct knowledge about God. Having the correct information is essential and necessary, but it doesn't entail the fullness of what it means to obey. Obedience means follow. Obedience means action. To fear the Lord is synonymous with obeying, with actually the word. This is almost like what James says. 
Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. To fear the Lord, which is the beginning of the wisdom, leads to actually following Jesus. And where does the servant lead that we need to go? Here comes the unpopular message again. I'm waiting for the tomatoes. The servant leads through darkness. His leading will demand a response to him. Will we follow? One commentator put it clearly, one's response to the servant is in the nature of a watershed. Those who have no light, who have no light can walk safely if they will entrust themselves to God in the way he is revealed. But those who reject God's revealed way and try to manufacture their own light will find that the way they have chosen leads to torment. What a challenging piece of scripture. Behold all you who kindle a fire. So you're in the midst of darkness. You're helpless. You're desperate. You're in a watershed moment at this point in time. What will you do? The tendency of our hearts, again, the propen- this is why I chose, come thou fountains, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And you want to know what one of the most prevalent ways we wander is? We light our own fires. We do what makes sense to us. We call it common sense. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We're a nation, we're a people, and I'm afraid the church is filled with people who we know the darkness. Our choices are to rely on our God or like our first parents, Adam and Eve, live in self-sufficiency and light our own fires. Notice this isn't saying necessarily we do bad or wicked or evil things. It's saying we are trusting and relying upon ourselves. Self-sufficiency. We're finding light. We're providing light for ourselves. To listen to God is to trust Him and to trust Him in the darkness. See, how has the servant led the way through the darkness? Which also leads us to how in the, how do we get and find the power to follow him through the darkness? We need to recognize something is absolutely essential both for Jesus as the fulfillment of the servant and also for us who in him, in him, united to him, become servants. That is to live and speak for God is to invite persecution. Richard Pratt, I remember him saying One time uh, in a doctoral class I was taking with him, he said, and he was teaching at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando at the time, he said, it's not that I wish for anybody to be a martyr. But he says, maybe we ought to be a little sad that RTS has no martyrs in its history. We're a little unlike the church in China where somebody, a pastor, will go to jail and be apart from his family for 10 years in order to lead his church in worship. Speaking the word of God, going through this kind of darkness, to live and speak for God is to invite abuse and persecution because the scriptural message, yes, the truth will set you free, but it'll first offend. And it invites persecution. Realize that Jesus was much more abused for what he said 
than what he did. It was only after he said, just to give you one example, John chapter 8, when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Those were his spoken words that they picked up stones to try to kill him. It wasn't when he was healing a leper or turning water into wine or walking on the water or doing, feeding 5,000 that they were picking up stones. It was when he was making an absolute claim of lordship and kingship upon one's life. Before Abraham was, I am. And that's the way it's been throughout biblical history. Who murdered Abel? His brother, Cain. Who sold Joseph into slavery? His brothers seething with jealousy. Most of the rejection and suffering comes from within. It wasn't unbelieving outsiders, but those who professed and considered themselves to be solid believers who picked up the stones to kill Jesus. Another commentator says, maybe it's time we begin to look at persecution as a sign of blessing rather than cursedness. We believers in North America have been largely free of persecution for 300 years, and it has dulled us to the reality of life. And what is the reality of life? Suffering is inevitable, but suffering leads to glory. Faith, trust in, and reliance on God who's led us through the darkness will be ultimately vindicated. Now, I can't stop there, can I? Where in the world will we get the power to live with this kind of faith and courage, to even aspire to grow in it a little bit, to have a biblical message and not settle for a worldly message? Again, look at the servant and look at Jesus. We need to look at all Jesus did in being mocked, spit upon, have his beard pulled. Again, look at verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Who is it that ultimately fears the Lord and obeys his word? It's Jesus. And Jesus does it for you. And what does he do? He walks in the ultimate darkness. You do realize any darkness we have to walk through will only be temporary. Jesus walked through the ultimate darkness, trusting and relying on the Lord. See, whatever darkness we encounter in our lives is only temporary compared to what he endured for us. For Jesus, even the pulling of the beard and the mocking and the spitting was only the beginning. Listen to Matthew chapter 27. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Here's the beginning of his suffering. Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again, and they mocked him. They took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried.
cried out. And the word literally means screamed in guttural agony. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice it says here, darkness fell over the earth. What was Jesus experiencing there? May I suggest he was experiencing a sort of uncreation? Genesis chapter 1, first words of the Bible says what? In the beginning, God created. And then it goes on to say, the earth was without form and void and darkness. Please, as you read your Bibles, take note of words. Darkness was over the face of the deep. There was a state of formlessness, a state of chaos, a state of void that was called darkness, uncreation, that God was about to speak creation into. And Jesus was here going through a sort of uncreation because what was he about to do? He was about to usher in and inaugurate a new world. Do you want to know what our ultimate hope is? It is not heaven. Our ultimate hope are the new heavens and the new earth. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus was the inauguration of a new world, the spiritual and the physical being completely united. And Jesus went through a darkness that we will never have to go through so that we who believe in him can be a part of that new world. And friends, that is the good news. That's your future. And that and that alone, no amount of trying hard, no amount of self-sufficiency, no amount of I promise to be a better Christian will give you a sliver of faith and courage. Only the power of the cross and the resurrection. Jesus went through the darkness. Jesus fulfilled, verse 11, lying down in a torment we will never have to lie down in. Taking what we deserve. We kindle the fires, he gets the torment. We walk by our self-sufficiency, he took upon himself what we deserve. So we can ultimately have light. Friends, will you trust him? Will you surrender to his leading you through darkness? Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord. What can we say in response to what you have done for us? Lord, all I can ask is that our hearts would more and more melt at this message. And Father, now as we come to your table, as we come to the Lord's table, this means of grace, we pray, Father, that you would seal to our hearts the benefits of what it means to belong to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, writing to a congregation, writing to a church, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is inviting you to his meal, the supper of the Lord. This is God's hospitality. This meal, this supper, is a sign and a seal of God's grace to us. Ordinary bread, ordinary grape juice points away from itself and points to what Jesus has done for you. And for the believer who takes it into himself, it also seals to his heart. I want you to picture you have a package you're sending, and you're sending it in an envelope. What do you want to do? You want to seal that envelope so the package is secure, the contents are secure. This is why this is a means of grace. God is active right now. He is working. We're doing business with God right now because he is, with this sacrament, mysteriously working to seal the benefits of what it means to belong to him to your heart. Which is why Paul says to the church at Corinth, every time you take it, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. He is saying that we need to, later on in the text, he says, discern or recognize the body of the Lord. And that means at least two things. That means we need to recognize what Jesus did for us as individuals, that he died for us. We're recognizing the significance of the body of the Lord. But the second part is that this is a communal meal, a family meal. The body of the Lord is the body of Christ, which is us. So this is an opportunity for you to examine your relationships. Does this mean you have to be best buddies with everybody and have the entire church all the time? No. But it does mean we should be examining our hearts, recognizing the people you're taking this sacrament with today are people for whom Jesus died. This is your family. Are you fostering bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness? This is an opportunity. And I'm not saying these words to judge or condemn. I'm saying these words to give an opportunity to repent an opportunity to go, you know what? All I'm doing is turning the heat up in my own heart and in my own life. Let me let it go. Lord, help me to let it go. It's an opportunity to discern the body of the Lord. So friends, this is a family meal. If you are a baptized believer and a part of an evangelical church, you are invited to take this meal. If you are not, if you do not yet believe, we'd ask you to let the elements pass by, but I want to do that with an invitation the scriptures also say, now is the day of salvation. This may be the very time you are not here by accident that God is impressing upon your heart. Maybe you're feeling, feeling a need to turn to him. I would encourage you. It may feel weird and awkward to you, but it's as simple as praying, Father, accept me because of what Jesus has done. And you know what the Father does? He welcomes you into the family and says, come and eat. So today may be the day of salvation for you. And if you're not ready, I have another invitation for you. Please keep coming. Ask God to make himself known to you. Ask him to open your heart to receive his grace. Continue to seek the shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, let's pray. And you should have when you came in received. We are using up all our prepackaged things here, so... 
Let's pray and ask God to bless this sacrament. Father, we set apart these elements for their holy use. And we ask that you would feed us with the gospel of Jesus Christ, his body and blood. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. the same manner he also took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins drink all of it Lord thank you for your grace and this means of grace that by this particular means you signify and seal that our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own, but belong in body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise you for Jesus Christ and pray that we would spend our lives seeking to know him. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your activity in our midst. Thank you that we encountered you here this morning. May we close our service praising you in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn, Rock of Ages.
benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.